Welcome to Voices Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features first-hand experiences from Dana-Farber patients. In this episode, we'll hear Gabby Spear recount her experience being diagnosed with breast cancer as a young mom and catch up with her to see how she and her family are doing today. The story of finding my cancer is pretty typical. I woke up one morning and something was just off. I felt a new pain in my breast, sort of like a pulled muscle that I'd never felt before. And when I went to touch it, there it was, a lump. I was diagnosed with breast cancer on November 8th, 2013. I was 38. I remember being at the doctor's office and just crying my eyes out. My doctor and I called my husband, Andy, right then, and he was just as devastated. As shocking as the news was, the reality was that I had to get home to pick up my daughters from school and get them ready for temple services that night. Life didn't stop and there wasn't time to wallow in self-pity, even if I wanted to, which I definitely didn't. If I went down the road of asking why me, I don't think I would ever come back. Pre-cancer, I had been the mom who volunteered for everything and took care of everyone else. Realizing that I was the one who needed help was entirely new for me and took a while to get used to. But the desire to take action was still there, and I immediately went into project management mode, figuring out what I needed to do and who to see next. The month after my diagnosis was all about doctor's visits, scans, genetic testing, and figuring out where to be treated. My cancer developed quickly. I went from never being able to feel it to feeling a solid, foreign lump. But it felt like a lifetime before we were able to do something about it. Looking back, it wasn't that long. But in that moment, it was a lifetime. My genetic test showed that I was positive for the BRCA1 mutation, which tends to run in Jewish families like mine and make the risk for breast cancer, including premenopausal cases, AKA under 60, much higher. While the news was hard to take, especially since the mutation may be present in my daughters, it was almost a blessing in disguise. All of my treatment decisions were essentially made for me. I'd have a bilateral mastectomy and later have my ovaries removed as well, since the mutation also sharply increases the risk of ovarian cancer. Now that we had a plan, my husband and I were ready to tell our daughters, who were three and six at the time. We had decided to wait until things were in action. We didn't want to scare them with unknowns. After talking to social workers at Dana-Farber, we sat the girls down and told them, I have cancer. We explained that there were good cells and bad cells in your body and that we had to get rid of the bad ones. I remember saying, the medicine to get rid of them makes you feel like you have a really bad stomach bug and it might make me lose my hair, but we have the best doctors in the world and they're going to do the best they can to get me well. I had written down notes, thankfully, and we practiced and practiced, but it was still scary and I worried about choking up and losing it. My youngest didn't really process the news, while my older daughter was more inquisitive, and I knew I'd have more questions from her in the future. After our talk on Thanksgiving weekend in 2013, we went on a family trip to the Museum of Science to show the kids that life does go on. Part of my treatment included a clinical trial at Dana-Farber, which meant chemo with a new drug, surgery, and more chemo, rather than the traditional surgery, then chemo combination. Being part of a clinical trial gave me a sense of control over my cancer and the possibility to change the way we treat this kind of cancer in the future, maybe even for my own kids, meant a lot to me. My first day of infusion with the clinical trial drug was December 18th, my ninth wedding anniversary. It was fitting in some ways. How could I ever forget that date? 
where our wedding had been the beginning of the rest of our lives together, this day too felt like a beginning, the beginning of the road to recovery. And like our other anniversaries, Andy was right there by my side, as he would be for each infusion. He was my security blanket. I needed him to be there for each infusion. His presence is what calmed me, no matter the news. Overall, I weathered treatment well. Despite a few surgical complications and some painful drug side effects, I kept working, although from home, and remained an active part of my kids' lives. Granted, my husband did more coordinating and we had help from friends. My treatment came to an end on August 27, 2014, and I had my ovaries removed and my breasts reconstructed that fall, wrapping up the cancer experience within a year, or so I thought. Your hair might grow back, you go back to the office, and people move on, but cancer isn't really ever over, and you aren't ever quite the same. I had a life-changing experience, and there will be long-term side effects. My mental capacity has changed, I have some memory loss, and I'm a 40-year-old menopausal woman. But although it isn't the same, life does go on. A memory popped up on social media recently of me dropping one of my daughters off at camp during treatment with my bald head. It is a great reminder that I am so much more than a cancer patient. I will always be a mom first. That was Gabby Spear sharing her experience being diagnosed with breast cancer at 38 and what the experience was like for her and her family. She's now joined by her husband, Andy, to talk about the role cancer has played in their family's life, how Gabby is doing now, and what advice she has for other patients. You know, it wasn't just me going through the whole experience. I know it certainly had effect on you and the kids. What was it like that first time when I called you from the doctor's office? I think it was a bit of a classical tunnel where the world seemed to stop and it just took a, a couple of moments to process it. And then frankly, it put me on my heels. It just took me a moment to collect myself, figuring out what the next steps were. I quickly went worst case scenarios, forward thinking, what is this about? What, how is this gonna affect us? What's the outcome gonna be? but I tried to rely on the work the solution, not the problem philosophy that we try to instill in the kids. I'm not sure I really knew what that meant until we had to go through our cancer experience. I think the hardest part of the diagnosis was how to tell the kids. We had thought not to tell anyone about it until we told the kids because we didn't want the kids hearing it from anyone else. So going through those first couple of days of knowing with no one else knowing, I think was really tough and it made me want to tell the kids, but it was a balance of knowing what was right for them, ensuring that we really had a plan and knowing what that plan of action was going to be and then telling the kids with that plan of action was the right move. I don't think I would change what we did or how we did it because I felt like it was working the, the solution. You know, here's the problem, mommy has cancer here's what cancer is, and here's how we're going to, you know, attack it. I think in some ways the support from Dana-Farber was perfect. The social workers and the doctors prepared us with some of the typical questions, so we were ready, which was fantastic. But no one ever really prepares you to sit directly in front of your own child and tell them that you have cancer, and then that age-old question of, are you going to die, and being able to answer it without really scaring them. I mean, the whole point is you don't want your kids to be scared of this. 
the, the question I dreaded more was, does that mean I have cancer? Which actually neither kid asked, which I was thankful for because having the BRCA1 gene means that there's a possibility that one of them is gonna have it. I actually wasn't prepared to answer that question. I didn't know how to appropriately provide the truth without scaring them as well. And it's still something that I struggle with today on how do we tell our two daughters about this gene and about what it means for them and what's the, when is the right time to tell them and how will they manage it. The treatment is over, but cancer still survives. You know, it survives in the family. It keeps on going on. It's always a constant part of your life. Being the cancer part of the cancer journey, a lot of attention comes to you. You know, people want to help, people want to cook meals or help with the kids. But the real, I think, heavy lifting is the person who isn't getting all of the limelight but has to pick up on everything. So what was that feeling like for you? I think in some ways it's just natural to support your wife, your spouse, your partner. It's natural to support someone when they're not feeling well. So being there and sitting by your side was relatively natural. Of course, it took some adjustment the first time you visit the ninth floor of Dana-Farber, but then you find your way and it becomes not routine, but you get used to it. I mean, those are the good times, but you have to have some type of model or process to think through to gain at least 51% or more control. And it takes practice and it takes great support from family, friends, from doctors and nurses, from Dana-Farber social workers. It may be cliche, but it takes a village. Did you ever resent it? Did you ever like it? Did you ever not like it? And how did you handle that? To be very clear, I never liked it. <laughs> you know, in an ideal world, you know, it would be great to have avoided that, but it is our reality. And, you know, frankly, I never felt like I was doing a lot. You know, you're the one that went through chemo. So I was more impressed how you can do all of this. In fact, I wish you had done more. Just kidding. <laughs> We had a lot of support from family and friends, and as I've said, from people here at Dana-Farber. But once we had our plan, once we had a process, it was a very interesting combination of, I dare say, quality time together, yet also in an intimidating situation because we knew where we wanted to get to. Question was, how were things gonna go? What bumps were gonna come up? What do you think was the most helpful tool that you had in your tool chest? I can think of two tools, so to speak, that I rely on. One is community and having a close family, having you to lean on or vice versa, having extended family, including our friends to lean on is super important. It was great when people were dropping by just to say hello. It was even better when they were dropping by with a great meal. <laughs> So having a broader community to lean on, it just makes the challenges seem more manageable. And then you have to have, you have to rely on your inner strength. At some point for me, it's, you have to grin and bear it and push forward. I 100 million percent agree on the community. It really takes a village. I think what was so important for us, particularly parenting through this, was providing some normalcy to them, letting them see that life does go on, that life their life continues, that they weren't gonna miss this because of stupid cancer or miss that because of mom's sick. I think the hardest part for me was learning to be selfish so that I could take care of myself through 
what we were going through and having the family and the friends help take care of everything else so I could be selfish and understanding it was okay to be on the couch. And if the kids wanted to, they could come snuggle with me, but I wasn't gonna be able to go outside with them all the time. And I wasn't going to be able to do everything they wanted me to do with them, but it didn't mean I wasn't just as present with them as I was before cancer. It just meant it was a little accommodation. I think your definition of selfish is probably a bit different than others because I never saw you selfish. Sure, I would see you take an hour or two here and there on the couch, especially after treatment, but you were still always there, present, participating, so please don't think about being selfish. Where did your motivation come from to remain so active with Dana-Farber? I know you still participate on panels and come in and do a number of activities such as acting as a hero in the, the annual campaign. What's your motivation to stay so active? Taking an experience like I had, like we had, and doing something positive with it allows me to come back and not be nervous about being at Dana-Farber. Knowing that there's a possibility that somewhere in the future, this terrible disease might affect another component of our family, and having any small part in changing what they may have to go through keeps me going. You can't go through something like cancer and not have it affect you. It either devastates you and you go down a long and dark road or you do something with it. And this is my ability to do something with it and make it something positive and show our girls that there's another side to cancer, that although it's a terrible disease, there's control over it. Going through cancer, you don't have control over a lot of things. So the small areas you do have control over, you take it participating in Dana-Farber activities, coming here and it being for something positive, it gives me control. And if it helps one person, I've done my job. What advice would we give to other couples or other parents who are coming behind us? I think the first thing I would say, and it may be cliche, but for everybody, appreciate your health. Don't take for granted what you've got when you're healthy, enjoy it. My first reaction is probably common, I, and I feared the worst. Before you fear the worst, get your information, listen to your doctors, find a doctor that you feel is a good match for you, and then you've gotta pull together a strategy for dealing with it. That includes utilizing the professional medical people in your lives. It's rallying your community and your family, but you have to find your inner strength. It's there, everyone has it. So play your rock music, whatever gets you excited, whatever gets you motivated, but you've got to find your inner strength. Along the similar lines, you have to definitely determine what's in your toolbox, whether it's your family or your community or both. Realize that you give a gift to others when you allow them to help you. And I think that's sometimes hard, particularly for moms, to allow other people to help and help take care of your family or your kids. Figure out what you need. If you need to be sad, be sad. If you need to be happy, be happy. Recognize that any and every emotion is okay. And it's okay to go through every and every emotion in the five minutes that you have to do it. Nothing is right and nothing is wrong as long as you're true to yourself and what you need at that time. So just remember that you have the strength within yourself to, to figure it out and don't be afraid to share that with others so that they can help. 
Thank you for listening to Voices, Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast. For more episodes of Voices and to learn more about other Dana-Farber podcasts, visit www.danafarber.org slash podcasts.